Virginia Tech suffers a loss to remember against Liberty. UVA got an unexpected weekend off. Virginia basketball is the favorite to win the ACC. The last time that happened, the Hoos had Ralph Sampson at center. All that, Aaron McFarland's puppy chow, and more this week on Teal and Barber. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Teal and Barber, Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you? Mike, good afternoon. Good to talk to you. Now, before we go any further, I want to make sure I say a very happy birthday to my favorite sometime occasional listener, my mm-hmm. daughter, Amelia. She turned seven yesterday, so uh, happy birthday, Amelia. David, do you, yeah, do you have any uh, birthday shout outs you'd like to make? And in, in, in fact, Mike, I would be remiss if I did not mention, since you asked, the next week is my mother-in-law's birthday. Wow. And, and, and trust me. She is the mother-in-law from heaven because, as you can well imagine, when she envisioned a son-in-law, she did not envision me. (laughs) Oh, I think she could have done a lot worse. Now, is she a a listener to the show? No, she is not. She is an (laughs) avid reader, though. Oh, that's good, and we and we appreciate that. She is a Richmond Times Dispatch digital subscriber, full yeah. on, and we appreciate it, and we need that support more than ever. So, uh, David, for for Amelia, we had a a Jack Skellington birthday party. We had two of her little neighbor friends over. We watched a movie on the back deck so they could be socially distant and still see each other. Do you have any plans? For your mother-in-law, uh, we are going over to her crib for a family dinner. That sounds delightful and a little bit of a taste of normal that that we all crave so much right now. Now, David, we've got a lot of football to, to break down today in, in today's sure. show, but let's get started with the, the news of the day and kind of the news of the week. And uh, for the first time since 1982, going into Ralph Sampson's senior year, UVA basketball is the pick to win the ACC. We got that poll announcement uh, here this week. And David, first off, I I think you and I are of the same mind. We both had UVA atop our ballots. So any surprise uh, in the order or the fact that Virginia is on top? Not not to me, Mike. I mean, the only thing you wonder is (laughs) Duke is just such a staple atop the preseason poll, (laughs) if only because Mike Krzyzewski and his staff recruit so well. But what The voters, at least in my mind, have long failed to figure out is when you are as perennially young as the Blue Devils, the ACC grind is going to get to you. And Duke has not won. I don't have the exact figures here in front of me, but the Blue Devils have not won the ACC regular season in quite some time. And I was talking with somebody earlier today. How many times does Tony Bennett have to run the table in the regular season before people learn? These these cats are usually pretty good. And yeah, I picked them one and and I t- to me the top 4 in any order you want to put them. Florida State, Carolina, Duke, UVA, they're obvious. I think Louisville's a solid fifth when healthy, but boy, the Cardinals are nicked up these days with some guys long-term out, including their senior co-captain Malik Williams. 
Yeah, it's you know going to be hard for a team to go into a year like that when we're all aware of mm-hmm. the uncertainty and what's going to happen once you get there with COVID testing and contact tracing. So you certainly want to be going into the year healthy. Uh, we had a chance to talk to Tony Bennett this week and some of the players. Tony did reveal that Jay Huff had missed a little time with an ankle injury, but that seemed minor. So it seems like Virginia is at least heading into the season uh, full strength. Now, that was the first time the local media had heard from Tony. Bennett since a few days before last year's ACC tournament. He is uh, not a big fan of off-season media engagements, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> to say it lightly, and he, and he stuck to that plan. Uh, so we got to speak to him finally and uh, talk about what, what figures to be a slightly different identity for the team this year now that Mamadi Diakite and Braxton Key are gone. There's some advantages to this year's teams and t- team and different differences. You know, last year could win because of their defense, we struggled a lot offensively, didn't shoot it great, um, but we won games just because we were so tough defensively. The year before when we won it all, they couldn't even win games with their defense like like last year's team could. Um, but um, but this year's team, they have not shown me up to this point that we can win games with our defense yet, and trust me, that's a point of emphasis. Well, first of all, I love the humble brag from Tony Bennett yeah, two years ago when we won it all. Uh, second, every year at this time, it sounds like Tony's down on his defense. They've led the nation in scoring defense six of the last seven years. So I don't think there's any reason to, to fret over that. But David, his point about this being a, a more dynamic, potentially offensive team, I think is spot on. Uh, what do you think about what UVA could be on that end of the floor? And is that why we're both so bullish on, on Bennett's bunch? I think it absolutely is, Mike. And as as Tony alluded to in, in the clip we just played, go back to that national championship team. They did not beat Texas Tech because of their defense. They did not beat Auburn because of their defense. They won those games because they were so good and efficient and versatile on offense. They had NBA talent. They had shooters. You know, Guy, Jerome, Hunter. And if and if you look at this roster, I think you see something very similar brewing. Yeah, that's what makes it so intriguing. And it's more than anything, and you, and you never want, especially with Virginia basketball, to put too much focus on one guy, right? That's just not the way the team and the program's designed. But the addition of Sam Hauser, mm-hmm. the Marquette transfer, he sat out last year. This is a kid, David, that was hitting 44% of his three-point shots at Marquette, going to a team that lacked some of that outside punch. I mean, we saw a different, I thought, Virginia basketball team on the nights where Thomas Wood Tensei had it going from three. And by all accounts, Sam Hauser has it going every time he steps in the gym. So what is his addition going to mean? Uh, who was it, Mike, when we were we were talking to the Virginia players the other day? It was either Jay Huff or Kihei Clark said, when we need a bucket, we're going to Sam Hauser and made it perfectly clear. And that's what I think he brings. I mean, last season when Virginia was in a pinch, who were they going to go to for points? And they never could solve that riddle. Yeah, it's such a more effective offense, the way they like to run things, the way they like to space, if they have that outside. I mean, think about the year they won the national title. And again, you're not going to have a lineup like this many years, but Ty Jerome could hit from the outside. Kyle Guy could fill it up from the outside. Dre Hunter could fill it up from the outside. So they had that dynamic that really 
changed who they were offensively. I don't know that they're going to be on that level, um, but there's some interesting pieces. And one of them is Jay Huff, who you just mentioned. Jay Huff's the big guy, right? They can throw it to him down on the low block and hopefully get some buckets. But he's the Euro stretch four. He can shoot the three. He can do some other things. He's as versatile a piece as Virginia has had in in quite some time. Absolutely. And especially if he continues to improve Mike on the defensive end. What did he he block? 10 shots, <laughs> you know, in that, in that epic game against Duke at, at, at JPJ. And if he emerges, you know, and, and continues to be that rim protector and, you know, Jabri Abdur Rahim is a touted shooter as well. You know, six, seven freshman guard, long plays on that wing. Yeah. Yeah. You add him to the mix. It's hard not to like what you see on paper. Think about being an opposing coach, and in the years where there isn't this offensive pop at Virginia, your lineup is how can you attack that defense? How can you attack the pack line? If they're stressing you on the other end of the floor, mm-hmm. and you've got to make your lineup adjustments to say, hey, we've got to defend these guys, and now you don't necessarily have your ideal pack line busting offensive lineup, that defense just becomes more potent. And we know this from watching Tony's teams over the years he's been there. On teams that hit shots, Virginia is so much better because they can get back and get set. Um, And this looks like, at least on paper, a team that can hit some shots. Absolutely. And I think it's going to make Kihei Clark even better as a point guard. I mean, it's just natural. If, If you're surrounded by talent, then you're going to be better. It's like a quarterback when he's surrounded by quality wideouts and running backs. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up Kihei Clark because I think people were, I don't know if I want to say down on him, but um, maybe not as impressed with his production last year. His role changed dramatically last season. He was asked to do more scoring. He was asked to do uh, more facilitating in the sense of um, you know shot clock winding down, late clock situations. I think Kihei Clark, for the duration of his career so far, has been underappreciated. And to your point, I think this can really be an offense he can excel in this year. Well, and I, and I think, Mike, in large part, because he's not going to have to play as much. How many minutes did Kihei Clark average last year? 37, 38, something along those lines. I mean, the guy just had to be gassed every night post-game. Well, enter Reese Beekman, the freshman from Louisiana, point guard. And, you know, and let's also not forget Casey Morsell, who can run the point as well. All of a sudden, there's some depth there where maybe Clark only has to play 31, 32 minutes a game. And that's a big difference. That's a huge difference. And if you guys remember a year ago, Braxton Key, right, had to mm-hmm. run point at one point because that's where they were in terms of depth. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's all of these are reasons why they're going to be better on the offensive end and, and versatile and hard to match up with. David, I know we played the soundbite from Tony, but do you have any doubt they're going to be great defensively again? No. no. Well, and, and especially with, with, with Kihei in, in the backcourt. I mean, he's such a pain in the backside for a, a opposing guards. I mean, he is really a quality on-the-ball defender. And that's something they've added, really, to the pack line. That, that wasn't something earlier in, in Tony's career they did a lot of, you know, picking up half court mm-hmm. and, and, and badgering the ball that way. And, yeah, that's Kihei Clark's talent. It's his ability. 
and it stretches that defense in a good way to where you've now you're going to lose five to 10 seconds of what you would normally have. And now you've got the best defense in the nation and Oh, they only have to defend you for five seconds less or eight seconds less. That is a huge factor. And uh, just another reason why they've been so good. And, you know, that's the defensive end. We started with the offensive end. Let's go back there uh, for this week's who you got. Thank you, Mike. It is who you got. Mamadi Diakete was the Cavaliers go-to guy last season. Uh, It's a role that could be filled by a few players this year. Who do you think will be Virginia's clutch scorer? Who you got? Let's start with David. We've already talked about it, guys, right? It's got to be Sam. Well, it doesn't have to be, but it sure appears it's going to be Sam Hauser. He's he's done it before. Now, now granted, he was not the man at Marquette, but he was a double-figure scorer at Marquette, as Mike alluded to earlier, an exceptional three-point shooter. And Tony Bennett and his players have already indicated to us he's the guy on this year's team. I, I think he could be the best scorer that, that Bennett's had just in terms of points per game. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, Hauser's the, the runner-up for preseason player of the year, and I think that's the right answer, David. I will say I, there's a chance that Jay Huff can be that kind of player. And, mm-hmm. and because of his height, because of his versatility – Again, I, I think you're right that, that Hauser is the most gifted scorer on this team. But I think when we talk about versatility and we talk about matchups, if Jay Huff can be a guy that they're comfortable going to in those situations, that really makes them dangerous because I think you know how to defend Hauser. It doesn't mean you can do it, right? He's a really good player. I don't know that you always know how to defend a guy like Jay Huff. And uh, to have that in late game situations, assuming he becomes uh, a player of that level of consistency, he would be a really uh, game changer if he's their go-to guy. David, before we move on, you and I had a little discussion and I tweeted out that I thought going into this season, there's the least star power, name recognition, household names, however you want to say it, in ACC basketball. <laughs> you pointed me to last season uh, and, and made the argument that maybe uh, things haven't changed much. So tell me, when you compare the two, what do you see there in terms of uh, just star power? Well, I go just more along the lines, Mike, of, of returning players. Last time was the first in conference his last season was the first time in conference history that no one from the preceding year's first or second team all conference was back in the league. So t- to me, that's what led you or led me to think, not really considering incoming recruits and such, that it was less star power, more parity. You just had no idea who was going to emerge and be really good. Whereas, you know, I think, you know, this season, you know, Hauser is so very good. Garrison Brooks at at Carolina. Jay Huff is clearly an NBA prospect. Duke's got its usual stash of freshmen plus Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore returning. They were excellent last year as freshmen. You've got really good guards coming back at, at George Tech and Alvarado and DeVoe. Florida State, you know, they're I just think I picked them second. I just think Leonard Hamilton's got that program on a roll. He's got a bunch of guys coming back. And oh, by the way, he's got his highest ever uh, rated recruit in Scotty Barnes. 
Yeah, and I mean this respectfully for what FSU and, and Hamilton have done in the past, but it does feel like maybe for the first time really on this level, they have all of that depth and athleticism that they always have, and now they have a boatload of top-flight talent. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of always the thing, was Florida State. They had the depth, they had the athleticism, they had good players. They didn't have necessarily the great players, but they could beat you uh, up and down the floor. They could beat you with their size. Uh, now they've got all of that and some guys who can really, really hoop. So uh, certainly that's a team to keep your keep your eye on this year. No doubt. And won the regular season last year. <laughs> And, you know, we're, we're getting ready to take the court as the top seed of the ACC tournament when everything got shut down last March in Greensboro. Yeah, they got a, they got a trophy there, too. <laughs> they, they did. They didn't get the chance to really play for it that time. Well, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun to get into basketball. We got the schedule as well. And uh, I know we knew the opponents, but there's something about having a schedule, whether it's a poster you stick on your wall or just knowing what games are when, that, that's starting to make it feel real. And it does right now, David, right? It feels like we're heading to a, a real basketball season. I, I hope we can get there, Mike. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I hate to be pessimistic, but you know, you know as, as, as well as I do, as do our listeners, that it's about to be winter and folks are about to go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and mingle and infection rates are already on the rise. And oh, by the way, look at the landscape of college football, not necessarily in the ACC, but in the SEC and other conferences where you're seeing more and more game postponements and college basketball's inside and it only takes one or two positive tests to, sh- to shut a team down for more than a week. And if that happens, you're looking at losing multiple games in a blink of an eye. I think the, the needle that college basketball is attempting to thread here is even more narrow than what football is doing right now. Well said. Agree 100%. And uh, there has been some success on the football side in terms of getting games played. In Blacksburg, there hasn't been as much success on the field as I think uh, we expected or certainly fans wanted. We were both down at Lane Stadium to see Virginia Tech host Liberty. Uh, the Flames, they did come in undefeated. They were ranked in the top 25. I think we we both maybe thought, maybe this is too strong, thought that was a little bit of a farce and figured uh, the Hokies would be able to take care of Liberty. So did Vegas, right? Tech was more than a two-touchdown favorite. We all ended up being very, very, very wrong. Uh, David, first off, this game featured one of the most bizarre endings (laughs) that I've ever covered in my 22 years doing this. So let's start at the end. Game tied, 35-35, 11 seconds left. Liberty lines up to try a 59-yard field goal to win it. And and David, take it away. Tell us the rest of the story. Well, Mike, if you'll indulge me, I'd go back even a little bit further because when Virginia Tech essentially allowed Liberty to score the go-ahead touchdown with like a buck 40 to go, I thought Hugh Freeze and his group completely mismanaged that. The play there is you take a knee. Virginia Tech only has one timeout left. You let the clock melt, and you kick a chip shot field goal on the game's final play, drive home safely. And all all this other thing that transpired doesn't happen. Anyway, and, and speaking of Hugh Freeze, what's he thinking about lining up for a 59-yard field goal? I mean, bless his heart, Alex Barbier was two for six beyond 29 yards this season. Walk-on transfer from Penn State. And, you know, as our listeners well know, 
Justin Fuente said it's his policy. I'm always going to take a time out there, but not as they're snapping it. Well before the snap, I want to make sure I've got my personnel right, my block personnel straight. But you've got to let the official know that, and that's where Fuente failed. He didn't let the official know soon enough, and sure enough, they don't award it until right before the snap. The players don't hear it. The play transpires. Silas Janzi blocks the field goal. Jermaine Waller runs it back. Every The PA announcer says, 41-35, Hokies win. And, you know, the place, you know, the place in terms of the sidelines, you know, people, it's pandemonium to use Justin Fuente's word. But, oh, no, timeout. And then here, tech screws up again. Doesn't notice that Freeze has had an epiphany. Hello, we're not going to try a 59-yard field goal again on fourth and six. We're going to line up on offense. And Tech has problems getting its defense back on the field. That's on Fuente. That's on Justin Hamilton, his new coordinator. You've got to have your people better prepared to get on the field. And lo and behold, um, the the, the receiver, C.J. Yarbrough from Liberty, is left uncovered lined up to the left of of the line of scrimmage, completely uncovered. They essentially concede eight yards. Completion steps out of bounds. It's first and 10, and they've got a chance to kick a 51-yard field goal. And you know what happened. He center-cutted that puppy. Yeah, the the rest is history. And it was interesting. You know, Divine Diablo said that uh, when they went out there for that one offensive play that they were anticipating Hail Mary and everybody was playing back. And I, I guess that makes a degree of sense. But, I mean, if you Freeze was thinking about kicking or thinking about he did it a 59 yard field goal how much better does he feel trimming a few yards off it so yeah it was kind of inexcusable to to have that mindset um you know that the scramble part of it i have some sympathy for right there was a lot happening it was very unprecedented it was an unusual situation but to your point if you're going to call a timeout uh and you don't want it right before the snap, whatever the timing of it is, you tell the official yes, well before you're time. calling. Yes. You see it all the time where the coach is standing next to the official and he said, mm-hmm. hey, I want to call this with two seconds. I want to call it with three. I want to call it with one, whatever it is. And then they stand there. They're aware. They've had the conversation and the official's just waiting for the official go-to hand sign there to, yes. to make it count and blow the whistle. That obviously didn't happen. So for people to get a little caught up in the, well, the official didn't hear him narrative, uh, that's still on Justin Fuente because that conversation yes. should have been well through its its course uh, by the time it's time to give a hand signal. Absolutely. You, you, it is incumbent upon you as the head coach to make darn sure that official knows your intentions. Now, regardless of what he said, you know, in the answers to us about that, Justin Fuente went into the locker room after the game and he apologized to his team for the way that unfolded. Monday, I asked Justin how he personally puts a game like that behind him. I went home after the game and, and I, I looked at the little app on my, on my phone to see how much sunlight we had left. You know, it's getting dark pretty early. I think we had 40, 40 minutes of sunlight left. And so I, I went outside and I grabbed the girls. I said, there's no, you know, there's no complaining. Like, let's go. We're going. We went through the football and threw the wiffle ball around while the sun was out. And that made me feel better for, for 42 minutes. But I don't know. Like, I try to be present with them when I'm with them, and that helps some. But when you lay down uh, to go to sleep at night and it's still racing through your mind and you can't get it out of your mind, that's um, there's not many people to turn to then. 
You know, David, it's getting dark early on this Virginia Tech football season and the defense uh, when you think about where they're at. And I have a story that I just posted up on Richmond.com looking at that defense. And you know, we had the players tell us this week that Justin Hamilton's scheme is a little more complicated, a little more complex than what Bud Foster was doing. Dax Holyfield really broke it down neatly for us, I thought, saying... Basically, you have to know more, you have to read more, and if you make a mistake there, there's more room for errors that can be exploited. Uh, that's certainly uh, understandable. They didn't have spring. They've dealt with injuries, but concerning. And Justin Fuente took the the fairly unusual step as the head coach of running the scout team for the defense this week. He, he wanted uh, a sharp, crisp look from the scout team, but he also wanted to grab the, the attention of the defensive players. David, is this... Uh, red alert, red flag time for this defense? I think it is, Mike. And I'll tell you what, I'm not sure that in a season where you had no spring and where your training camp was a complete mess because of COVID-19, that does not strike me as the wise time to go complex on defense or offense for that matter. Just try to keep it basic, at least you know, that, that would be my approach. I know Justin Hamilton wants to put his stamp on things, and there will be time for that. But to, to get intricate in 2020, I think, is somewhat of a fool's errand. And unless you are so confident in your personnel that it's veteran and, and can pick up on such very quickly. Now, although to that point, you don't know what your personnel is going to be Correct. week to week. So there's just, yeah, there's so many moving parts. And, and maybe it was a, a simplistic way to look at it. But I think I went into the year expecting, you know, Justin Hamilton to play some more zone in the back end. He talked about that. And uh, there's some things different up front with Bill Tierlink. But I thought overall the Bud Foster way was going to kind of stay in place, right? It's a pretty simple scheme. They dial up pressure when needed. It's a pretty easy to run defense. It's easy to prepare for, but they're not going to make mistakes. They're going to be in their gaps. They're going to play it well, and, and they're going to beat you. And you know, certainly there were games for Bud Foster. I think about that North Carolina game with Giovanni Bernard, where, where they got absolutely gashed because it wasn't working and, and Carolina did have a good attack. But um, to your point, I, I was expecting a, a much smoother transition to Hamilton because I didn't think he was going to throw in too many wrinkles. Yeah, I, I, I was not sure what it was going to look like, to, to be honest with you, Mike. Just just because you know he's a, he's a brand new coordinator and he's got a new staff that they brought in, there was just going to be a lot of transition. And again, with with no spring and with training camp so messy, it just to me it was a complete mystery. And and thus far, it has not. And it's been. And I'm interested in your take on this. It's been kind of counterintuitive. The healthier they've gotten, in some regards, the worse they've got. Now, I, I know Carolina was kind of on the low point when everybody was hurt, especially at, at safe, not hurt, but out at, at safety. But Saturday against Liberty, Mike, was as healthy as this defense has been, granted, again, until Rashard Ashby went down during the game. But I don't see any progress despite the improved health. 
Yeah, that's alarming. And, and some of the comments from the players to that point this week about Justin Fuente taking over the scout team, you know, they said things like, okay, well, if the head man, uh, Jared Hewitt said, hey, if the head man's over there running the scout team, you know, you're going to have to be given your all. Well, does that imply you're not given your yeah. all when Justin Hamilton's there? And I thought those quotes were very telling. And, um, you know, Dax Holyfield pointed out that, hey, Bud Foster used to run the scout team. And, and Hewitt said it too. And, you know, Bud Foster's there. You're not slacking off. Does that mean you're slacking off when Justin Hamilton's there? Does yeah. that mean you're slacking off if Justin Fuente's back is turned? Uh, and then whose fault is that, right? Is that Justin yeah. Hamilton's fault or is that the players who should have the discipline uh, to get ready for, for games? Not, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I would put the blame more on, on the players. And oh, by the way, to, to me, one of the glaring weaknesses of this defense they're slow. I Liberty on offense had more team speed than yes. the, the Tech defense. I mean, how many times do we, do we see it Saturday? You know, especially Malik Willis, but other guys too. Skill people just running running away from defenders. Well, luckily, the good news for Justin Hamilton and Tech is now they have oh. <laughs> <laughs> now they have Miami, who has as much team speed as anybody, and uh, Derek King, who who is just a, a matchup nightmare at quarterback, and uh, we may be having some of this same conversation, David, uh, on next week's show, which is not what Tech fans want to hear. Now, um, I mean, ninth ranked in the country, Derek King last week became joined Lamar Jackson and Taj Boyd as the only quarterbacks in ACC history. To pass for at least 400 and rush for at least 100 in the same game. He did so in that Friday night victory at North Carolina State. And Virginia Tech's recent history against the top 10 is grim indeed. Since winning at Ohio State in 2014, the Hokies are 0-5 against the top 10, and four of those five were decided by at least two touchdowns. Well, Virginia got the weekend kind of unexpectedly off <laughs> after a COVID-19 outbreak at Louisville. That shut down the Cardinals program. And uh, those teams are going to play this weekend instead after fortuitously, and maybe some credit to the ACC schedule, but uh, both were open. We talked to Bronco Mendenhall on Monday, and, and David, before we, we tackle the football part, Bronco said <laughs> he watched the big Clemson-Notre Dame game Saturday night, and he shared a little secret about he and his wife watch games on TV. I really enjoyed the anecdote. Dave, do you want to share what kind of Bronco shared with how he approaches television watching? Well, first of all, I assume Bronco could find NBC on his TV because, of course, the week before he told us that his wife had to be, Holly had to be the one to find ACC Network. <laughs> ACC so, Network's a little bit harder to find, I think, for a lot of us. It is, but clearly Bronco is technology challenge, I think, when it comes maybe to the smarter TVs of the day. But yes, he, um, he, he watches with the sound off, right? Yeah. And he said that, you know, it goes back to his time at BYU and it was his wife and family would watch the games and they didn't like what was being said about Bronco mm -hmm. and his staff and the performance. Right. So they turned the sound off. And then when it got to the point where Bronco could watch games with them, he would be so in a disagreement with the announcers that he mm -hmm. would essentially be arguing with his TV the way I always <laughs> remember as a kid. I remember my mom shouting at the news when she disagreed with what a politician said uh, yeah. on the nightly news. So I'm picturing Bronco yelling and arguing. And as Bronco pointed out, you know, the announcers can't hear him. So he's having this one-sided discussion. And uh, Holly and the family decided it's best for everybody to, to watch the games 
without sound. So no disrespect to the announcers, but no. uh, I thought that was pretty humorous. Well, and not only humorous, Holly Mendenhall strikes me as a very wise woman. Yes. And no nonsense, right? She seems yes. to, uh, which is good because Bronco has that when he's in the football world. Very no nonsense, very focused, very orderly and, and, and managing everything. And it, it's interesting that the dynamic at home from the glimpse we get uh, that maybe she takes on that role when they get home. No doubt. Now, football-wise, Broncos bunch was coming off that that Halloween upset of North Carolina. We were both really oppressed. We've we've talked about that. Uh, they had a little momentum. Let let's see if they can pick up now where they left off from that one, David. That the early season schedule for this team it included Clemson, Miami. We just mentioned North Carolina. UVA now has five games down the stretch that I think would all be described as winnable games. Its final five contests. You're looking at Louisville, Abilene Christian, Florida State, Boston College, and Virginia Tech. Those teams are a combined 14 and 20. Uh, One of them's an FCS team with a losing record. So David, can the Who's maybe put something together here down the stretch? Mike, I have maintained for several weeks now that after North Carolina, I did not anticipate Virginia upsetting North Carolina, but I thought that after North Carolina, Virginia would not lose between there and Blacksburg in the Commonwealth Cup game. I I thought the Cavaliers would beat Louisville, Abilene, FSU, and Boston College. Boston College is better than I thought it would be and has a very intriguing game Saturday against Notre Dame. But I'm going to stand by it. I think Virginia will be 6-4 and four riding into Blacksburg on December 12th. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Florida State, we, we saw the news they're having oh. major roster issues, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, this Louisville game, when you talk about that run, this might be the linchpin game because yeah. you don't know what Louisville's going to have. They don't sound like they're going to be full strength. They, they're, they've put some of the COVID outbreak behind them in terms of the spread and in terms of it getting worse. But just hearing Scott Satterfield, it didn't sound like things are, are 100% better either. Th- this may be a, a tough matchup for the Cardinals to to have enough lineup to not play, but to compete at a high level. Well, I, I think, Mike, the, the week, the unexpected week off clearly benefited Louisville in terms of clearing some of the virus issues. But I think it was invaluable for the Cavaliers as well, specifically, yes, and, and you wrote about this today, when it comes to Brennan Armstrong, because he was kind of gimpy after the Carolina game. And now all of a sudden he's had an extra week. That's a huge point. He dinged up his knee and you know nobody's told us if he could have played last weekend. But you almost get the vibe that it would have been a little iffy for him to play last weekend. And we've seen, David, not that they don't have options and plans and things they can do, but <laughs> this team is light years better with Brendan Armstrong. I'd go as far as to say, and it's been a surprise to me, I think they're really good on offense when Brendan Armstrong is healthy and going, and I think they're questionable at best when he's not. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And one thing I'm really interested to see, Mike, is how this offense – Number one, continues to evolve with the emergence of Shane Simpson, which which I thought was huge against Carolina. And oh, by the way, Lavelle Davis Jr. should be coming back, correct? 
Yeah, I asked Robert Anai that this morning, and, and he said, you know, Robert Anai is not the most forthcoming <laughs> with information. But Imagine uh, that. <laughs> he did say that Lavelle Davis Jr. has been out there and that they are hopeful uh, to get him back. I asked Nick Howell about the two safeties they've been playing without, Joey Blunt and Brenton Nelson, and uh, Nick, who is very much in the same vein as Robert Anai, said, well, if they're if they're healthy and available, I'll play them, which I don't think there was much question about that. But he did say yeah. that uh, Joey Blunt is a little closer than Brenton Nelson has been able to do some more things, uh, maybe a week away for those guys. But yeah, Lavelle Davis Jr., I mean, David, that opening game, the mm-hmm. deep balls, and he just looked like a difference maker for this offense. Well, and we saw it at Clemson too. Mm-hmm. You know, he he really can take the top off a defense and th- those 50-50 balls, you know, when, when you're 6'7 and you can get up in the air like that, you're going to make life miserable for an awful lot of corners. Are the Who's a good bet this weekend? How about the Hokies, who, surprisingly to me, opened as a favorite against Miami? Well, joining us now, as he does each week in football season, it's Roanoke Times columnist Aaron McFarling for his segment, AMAX Puppy Chow. Aaron, how are you? Good, Mike. I mean, only in 2020 can your best bet of the week just get completely wiped off the board like mine was last week with the Air Force Army tilt getting postponed. But hopefully all the all the games we like this week will will go on as scheduled. Yeah, I kind of chuckled when I saw that cancellation and I thought we should have a best bet for an outcome, but we should also have a best bet to be played because (laughs) that seems to be as big a question as anything this season. For sure. I mean, yeah, if if they put props out in Vegas on that, that that would be a – I think there would be a lot of action on that because, you know, it seems like a 50-50 proposition these days. It really is sadly close to a coin toss. You're right. Now, each week, Aaron's going to be here to give us his best bet in the ACC, his upset special from somewhere across the land, and and maybe weigh in on Tech UVA, like I mentioned. And uh, let's get right to the chow, Aaron. Do you have an upset you love this week? I do. Uh, It's not a straight up upset, but I'm looking at Maryland, man. you know that I'm a Maryland alumnus, but I've been as hard on Maryland as anybody. They've been an awful program for an awfully long time. But Talia Tagavaloa is legit. Uh, they're getting 25 points at home against Ohio State. Ohio State's great. I'm not denying that. But uh, 25 points is hard to cover, uh, even against really bad teams. And I don't think Maryland's a really bad team. They'd upset Penn State last week as a – uh, three or four touchdown fate uh, underdog. Um, they're playing pretty good defense, which you know they didn't do in their first win of the year. Uh, outside of uh, the opener where Tagovailoa threw three picks, he's been excellent, and I expect them to score a bunch of points in this game too. And I, I expect them to keep it close. Maybe they lose by two touchdowns, but that's still very comfortably inside the twenty-five point line there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And important to note, because people always say, don't don't gamble with your heart. You're not saying Maryland's going to win. <laughs> just, get, just get the cover. <laughs> That's right. Now, how about as you look at the ACC board, do you have a best bet there? I'm telling you, man, Boston College, all they do is cover. We've talked about this before. They mm-hmm. own, All they do is cover. They're getting 13 and a half against Notre Dame. Uh, the underdogs nine and four against the spread in the last 13 meetings between these two Catholic schools. Uh, BC. In their last 30 conference games, they're 22-7-1 against the spread. I don't know, you know, why they keep getting undervalued by by Vegas. I guess you just look at BC and you say, ah, there's not a lot to get excited about there. But I tell you what, man, 
five and zero against the spread in the last five games as a home pup, and that's what they are here. You know, you got to figure a little bit of a letdown from for Notre Dame after that huge win over Clemson. Give me, give me BC in the thirteen and a half. I'll, uh, I'll like that all day long. I'm going to throw you another team that I'm confused by Vegas's valuation. Virginia Tech. They, they were big favorites a weekend ago. They lost to Liberty. They're favorites again against Miami. Two and a half points last time I checked. Aaron, explain that one to me. I really can't. Uh, Tech's been a good bet at home uh, in recent times, and that that wasn't really the case in the last years under Frank. But uh, they're five and one against the spread in their last six home games. Um, so they're they're playing well at Lane Stadium. The favorite in this meeting, this matchup, is five and one in the last six meetings. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like Vegas is telling you that uh, <laughs> that Hokies are going to win. I, I, you know, I have a hard time understanding it myself. I, I think, you know, if I were to play this game, I would probably take Miami. Um, just you've got to figure Tech's not going to be able to stop De'Aaron King. Um, this just, you know, this defense has not been impressive in, in, at all. But uh, my column today, I wrote about, you know, just Hinden Hooker and the joy that with, with which he's playing, the the even keeled nature that he has. I don't think he's, you know, going to let last week's loss against Liberty, uh, you know get him down. I mean, he's been playing out of his mind here for most of the season, that Wake Forest game notwithstanding. And that's why the Hokies have a chance. Now, (laughs) should they be favored by two and a half? I don't think so. I think Miami probably should be favored by about three here. But, um, you know, the Hokies certainly have a shot when they have, you know, Frank used to say, when you have a tie rod, you have a chance. I mean, this is the best quarterback they've had since tie rod. And uh, that gives them a chance. That makes sense. How about UVA? Before we let you go, give me the breakdown there. And they're a favorite uh, at home against Louisville. The game that was pushed back a week. Yeah, we talked about it last week. I liked Virginia in this spot last week, and I'm going to stick with it. Um, you know, I like the direction they're going in uh, with with Armstrong back. I mean, he's playing at a pretty high level too. So uh, go ahead and give me the Cavaliers. I'll lay the three. Thanks. We'll be taking that all to the bank. That's Aaron McFarland, columnist for the Roanoke Times. That was Amax Puppy Chow. Well, David, if, if we were betters, <laughs> we both bet wrong last weekend when we predicted Clemson would would still have enough firepower, even without Trevor Lawrence, to hold off Notre Dame. Uh, we thought we'd see, I know I did, a statement game from Travis Etienne, who's been so good during his career. And instead, maybe we saw that statement game from the Irish. And aside from being wildly entertaining, which it was, and may, maybe the most I've enjoyed just sitting on my couch with some Cheetos watching football since it's come back. But what were your X's and O's takeaways from the matchup? First of all, you mentioned ETN. I didn't think he was going to run wild against Notre Dame because no one has. But for Notre Dame to limit Clemson and ETN to essentially one yard per carry is just off the charts Mm -hmm. outstanding. I mean, that defense against the run was amazing. And what has been the knock on Ian Book and the offense? The inability to stretch the field and with, with, with the throw game. And what did the Irish do? Exactly that, especially on that 90-plus yard drive at the end of the game to force OT. I, I thought the, the fumble into the end zone aside, I thought Ian Book was superb. And oh, by the way, the kid playing quarterback for the other team 
DJ Uwe Ungale. Get used to that. Guys, he threw for more yards than any quarterback against Notre Dame ever, ever. He's a true freshman making his second career start on the road against the fourth-ranked team in the country. And that's what he give, gives you? My goodness, is that young man gifted. Yeah, it, it doesn't always happen this way where there's a ton of hype and everybody's excited and everybody's talking about a game before the year even starts, right? Everybody had this circle. Yeah. And a lot of times they fizzle, right? It only takes one team to, to make it fizzle. <laughs> Either <laughs> right? somebody's great or somebody's off and it's just not the game you thought, um, you know, and, and there could be injuries. Like here we had Trevor Lawrence and this ended up being a great game for the reasons you just said. The things that we didn't know about Notre Dame, they answered in the affirmative. They answered uh, their offense can be special, right? Their offense can be the kind of offense that, that wins championships. Their defense, and, and maybe even more impressive to me than stopping the run, because I think we both thought Travis Etienne was going to have a hard time getting yards, maybe not to this level. But the fact that they didn't let him break a single one of those dump passes yeah. out of the backfield mm-hmm. where he makes, that's the difference that Travis Etienne brings. He's a guy who on a nondescript play, on a play that just kind of looks like nah, nothing's happening, he can turn it into a 60 or 70-yard touchdown, and they didn't let it happen. Not once, really. They didn't let it happen. They didn't lose sight of him, lose track of him. Um, those two things, to me, I came away extremely impressed with Notre Dame. I don't change my opinion on Clemson, and and I think when Trevor Lawrence is back, um, it'll be interesting. We're going to talk about that in a second, but my main takeaway was, hey, this Notre Dame team is maybe a little better even than I was giving them credit for. Yeah, and, and, and Mike, you, you mentioned that, and it's a great point, that ability to contain ETN in the throw game. And I think that is rooted in the linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, who is from Hampton Roads, went to Bethel High School in Hampton, and then the safety, Kyle Hamilton. They They are and were both superb and they are they are versatile and and in fact i've heard people compare kyle hamilton to isaiah simmons from Mm -hmm. clemson last year and you and i know having watched that acc championship game between uva and clemson in charlotte last december just how what a presence simmons was you couldn't take your eyes off of him on when when he was on the field and I think Hamilton is that guy for Notre Dame. Yeah, and you bring up that ACC championship game, which brings me to my next question, which are we still assuming Clemson and Notre Dame are in the title game? And if so, is Clemson with Trevor Lawrence too much for Notre Dame, considering that this one came down to the wire, or, or is that not the right way to look at it? Well, I, yeah, I, I think Clemson, if they both make it, which I think they will, and I think it will be epic. I mean, just the most anticipated ACC championship game by far. I think it'll be the most anticipated conference championship game out there. Yeah, you'll have Alabama and Florida in the SEC title game. I think Clemson Notre Dame will, will be bigger in the nation's eyes. And having Trevor Lawrence back, absolutely it'll make a difference. Yeah, and, and you know it's interesting. I know we we pondered this in an earlier episode, but mm-hmm. uh, it, this is the scenario that that you pointed to because I I said I think if you're an ACC insider, you want to see Clemson win this game and and just be the the flag bearer. And you said, hey, hold on, if Notre Dame wins the regular season matchup, it sets up the potential for Clemson to get revenge in the championship game 
and both teams to make the college football playoff. David, now that we're here, that's very much in play, is it not? I, I certainly think so. The ACC champion, assuming, Mike, that Clemson and Notre Dame are unscathed between now and Charlotte. That's a, that's a big assumption because you never know with, with, with COVID and such. And Notre Dame's got to go to BC this week, still has to go to Carolina. You know, Clemson's still got Pitt ahead, still has to come to Blacksburg. You know, th- things can, can get sideways. But if Clemson and Notre Dame both make Charlotte, the winner of that game, regardless of who it is, is going to the playoff. And then the question will be, does the loser go? And obviously Clemson uh, would, or excuse me, Notre Dame with just the one loss would have a much better chance to make it having lost there in Charlotte, especially if it's a close game. Absolutely. And you, you do bring up the point though, and I believe I've got this factoid correct. You'll correct me, but uh the last time Notre Dame beat the number one team in the nation, it was Florida State, and mm-hmm. they went out the next week and lost to Boston College. So uh, a little irony in, in that being the matchup for this week. Yeah, it's 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 crazy how just the serendipity that happens in sports sometimes. You know, they they, they beat Florida State. It was a one versus two game as well in South Bend. It was um, talk about epic. Charlie Ward and, and that crew, Warwick Dunn, and uh, Notre Dame gets him. And then the following week, they lost at home mm-hmm. to, to, to BC. And Florida State then goes on and wins a controversial national championship because everybody's like, well, wait a minute. you Notre Dame beat you head-to-head. How is How are you ranked ahead of Notre Dame? Obviously, this is pre-playoff. Yeah, I, I remember that as, and this is just my age or whatever, my generation, but that was the first game I remember being widely described as the game of the century, mm-hmm. that, that Notre Dame floor. That was where that vernacular kind of came in. Um, and yeah, a Clemson-Notre Dame rematch in the ACC title game. David, that might get the, the label now for, for this century. Yeah, I know. Sign me up. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts by finding the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism the way David's mother-in-law does. <laughs> online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. The show today was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.